Well, uh, as Paul said, and as we've prayed, we're beginning a short series uh, this evening uh, in the authority of the Bible. Uh, you might think when you hear that, well, you know, duh, it's God's word, so enough said. Uh, why do we need to do this? But there are many tricky questions uh, in this area. And of course, there's also a bit of heat in this area because the Bible isn't so popular in our society anymore. Uh, and big sections of, of the church are caving into the pressure to abandon the Bible on various different issues. Uh, people, humanity, now believe that we are so clever, we're so enlightened, uh, we have come a long way, we have evolved and we're still evolving. Uh, we're not primitive people anymore, we're now modern people, we can work things out for ourselves. So why on earth would we keep referring back to a book that was written three and a half thousand years, two thousand years ago, uh, what could it possibly have to teach us today? Why do we keep returning to this old book? Uh, we spent a term last year looking at the Bible's teaching on roles and relationships and we looked at those thorny issues like um, uh, sexuality and gender and all that kind of stuff uh, and they are the areas in which currently there is the most friction between the Bible and society and we tried to lay out the Bible's teaching in those areas and uh, I think what happened during that series was questions about the Bible's authority kept bu bubbling up. Um, how free are we to disregard the Bible here? Uh, can we agree with one part of the Bible but then disagree with another part of the Bible? Uh, how do we know that these parts of the Bible were meant to be there in the first place? Uh, wasn't this written for people in another time, in another culture, in another situation? So how is it relevant to us now? Do we really need to apply it to ourselves? Uh, are there now new ways of reading the Bible that lead to different conclusions to these topics? Do we, are we, do we have a more enlightened way of reading the Bible now? Uh, why do we have to go with one interpretation when there are so many other out, uh, interpretations out there that I can find? So questions like this are bound to arise, I think, whenever we find what the Bible says uncomfortable. Uh, so it seemed like a good idea to try to strengthen the foundations of our confidence in the Bible uh, with a series on that which we're doing now because after all if we we lose confidence in the bible then we we lose everything we may as well pack up and go home and not bother coming back if we abandon the bible and of course it's not just the controversial topics uh, the bible can be hard work at the best of times i don't know how readily and easily you relate to the bible maybe it's natural to you because you've been a christian a long time but of course the bible involves words it involves lots of words it involves thinking about those words uh, it was written thousands of years ago, so there's a bit of a jump to make. What does this mean? How is it relevant to us? It can be exhausting. It takes a lot of time to understand the Bible properly sometimes. Can we really be bothered, you might ask? Do we have to worry about it? It helps us to be reminded of what we believe about the Bible so that we keep coming back to it as we need to do as Christian people. So the aim in this series is to address as many of those tricky questions about the Bible as possible. It's a topical series. Uh, as as uh, Paul said, tonight we're starting with the nature of the Bible. In other words, what is it that we have here in front of us in, in this book? Uh, and so today we're looking at what the Bible says about itself from this passage in 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. So if you'd like to open that up, if you've got it, uh, that would be helpful for you. And the aim tonight is really to encourage believers to get back to valuing the Bible as we should, uh, if you stop doing that a little bit. Uh, it's not so much convincing unbelievers that the Bible is God's Word, that's not the aim. Uh, the aim is to encourage you, if you're a believer, to value the Bible again, perhaps. 
Now, in this letter of 2 Timothy, Paul is urging Timothy to stay in the fight of faith and ministry. Uh, He says there will be terrible times in the last days, and we're in the last days. He says there'll be false teachers. He says there'll be foolish, distracting arguments about things that don't matter. He says there'll be people who look very godly, but are actually extremely self-centered. He says everyone who wants to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But the good fight of the faith is to stick with the Bible, he says to Timothy. Why is it so important to stick with the Bible? Well, because of what the Bible is, the nature of the Bible. So I'm going to point out four things here from this passage about what the... uh, what the Bible says about itself. Number one is that it is uniquely trustworthy. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you know that I've really copped it for my ministry and that's normal for anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that's the world we're living in, which infects the church as well. Uh, And even more so today, in this sort of marketplace of ideas that we live in, all the books and the blogs and the podcasts and the videos and uh, the influences on social media, you know, you kind of pick the truth that works for you, you like it, you share it, Uh, and the categories of information and entertainment are blurred together, so, you know, you only listen to people who are going to be entertaining and sort of good-looking and easy to digest. Uh, somebody who looks boring or uses really long words that you can't be bothered working out what they mean, well, why bother? They probably don't know what they're talking about. So entertainment and information are sort of one, uh, it would seem, in this new world that we're in. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So Timothy had a Bible foundation, Like many people here who've grown up in Christian homes, he had a Bible foundation. He had been taught the gospel by people with integrity and that gospel lines up with the Holy Scriptures, which he was taught from childhood, which is the Old Testament. And so in the swirl of ideas and distractions and deceptions, Paul says, Timothy, you know what to trust. The Bible is uniquely trustworthy. Uh, And incidentally, at the point where Paul's writing here, uh, that includes the beginnings of the New Testament, which were being considered as Scripture alongside the Old Testament by this point. So when I'm referring to the Bible, uh, obviously the Bible wasn't completely formed when Paul wrote this, uh, but we're talking about the whole Bible here. And the Bible is not just another book, another opinion, another voice to put in the smorgasbord alongside all the other options that we're given. The Bible is Holy Scripture, That is, it is sacred, it's set apart. We should regard the Bible as holy. It says on the front, holy Bible, because that is the Christian attitude to it. On the issues where the Bible claims to speak, uh, like who God is and who we are and how God's revealed himself and what God's doing and how to be reconciled to him and how to live as God's people, the Bible is 100% trustworthy. It gives you the truth. It doesn't come from, the Old Testament doesn't come from false prophets, but from the real prophets whom God called. And the New Testament doesn't come from false apostles, but from the real apostles whom Jesus chose. And so you can trust the Bible to be God's truth. I wonder whether you appreciate how valuable that truly is in this world. Because in this world, there are so few straight answers. You know, everybody's just guessing, aren't they? They're making their way through life and they're guessing. They're listening to whoever sounds good 
and they're guessing. We have to navigate life and we have to make choices and they want us to vote in elections and, you know, have a say on things and, and people have no compass whatsoever by which to make these decisions. Um, I went to England in my early 20s. I, I landed, uh, the plane landed early in the morning. I picked up a car. I decided to head first for Oxford. Uh, didn't have a map or a compass. I didn't kind of consider that uh, I might need one of those. Um, so I glanced at a map in the airport and then I picked up the car and I thought I could probably judge east and west by where the sun was. It's morning, I thought. Uh, but in November in England, of course, the sun doesn't rise in true east. It sort of rises down there and just goes like that. Um, so keeping the sun over my right shoulder as I drove was not the best strategy. Uh, it was quite a silly idea and then, of course, it clouded over. So. I ended up going in completely the wrong direction. I headed east, I should have headed west in order to get, to, or northwest, in order to get to Oxford. But that is how people are navigating life with no compass. They're just making it up. They haven't got a clue. In a world of fake news and spin and agendas and no straight answers, and this is what sounds good, so let's go for that. In a world of deceiving and being deceived, which is what Paul says here, the Bible is the only trustworthy foundation for life. You've got something solid only in the Bible. I hope you understand that and appreciate it. So that's the first thing, uniquely trustworthy. So what is the Bible all about? What's actually in the Bible? The second thing is that it is uniquely Christ-centred. The central message and the key to understanding the Bible, each part of it, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that Jesus is the Lord and only through his death and resurrection can we be reconciled to God. That's the central message and the key to the Bible, is that gospel. Paul says here that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's not just one of their functions, that is the main function of the Bible, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus himself claimed. Uh, in John chapter 5, verse 39, he's uh, in the middle of a, one of those kind of testy arguments with the Pharisees. He says to them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you ref refuse to come to me to have life. What's he saying there? He's, saying, he's claiming that the Old Testament's function is to lead people to him. It's about him. God makes all these promises in the Old Testament's patterns and prophecies, and then the New Testament shows how Jesus fulfills all of those promises. That's the shape of the Bible. Uh, which we need to bear in mind whenever we read it. There's creation, there's sin, which is the problem, there's the solution promised in Israel, there's the solution delivered in Jesus, and then there's the new creation completed in the, at the end of the Bible. That's the big picture of the Bible story, and Jesus is the key to it. He is what the Old Testament promises, he's what the New Testament delivers. So the Bible is uniquely Christ-centred. Even though there's 66 books in there, there's 40 different authors or something like that, there's, it's written 1,500 years apart from uh, Genesis through to the Apostle John. There's a miraculous unity to this story and to its testimony to the message of Jesus Christ and how to be saved in Him. That's what the Bible is all about. And what that means is really wonderful because it means that if you build your life on the Bible, then you have something driving your life that no other philosophy or religion could ever give to you. And that is grace. Um, the message of Jesus Christ is the message of God's grace, that is, His favour towards sinners. It's a message of mercy and forgiveness and undeserved blessing. 
And you will not find a message that humbles you and lifts you up at the same time, like the Bible's testimony to Jesus does. There's no other message or philosophy that can transform you like the good news at the centre of the Bible, that is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is amazing how quickly people lose their grip on that grace and their understanding of that grace when they walk away from the Bible for whatever reason. They walk away from, from that grace, they forget that we're sinners, they forget that Jesus died, why Jesus died on the cross and who he is. They lose it all when they walk away from the Bible. The Holy Scriptures uniquely are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the content, that's what it's about, it's uniquely Christ-centred. How did, how did the Bible come to be so special? Well, the third thing about it is that it is uniquely God-breathed. The foundation of its trustworthiness and its Christ-centeredness and this message of grace is that it uniquely comes from God. The Bible is the Word of God in a way that nothing else is the Word of God. Paul says here in verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. So, as I'm breathing out now and my breath is coming out in the form of words, God spoke the words of the Bible. In other words, God's Spirit uniquely worked in the human authors and in their particular situations in which they were writing to produce Holy Scripture, which uniquely contains God's message for all time and through which God still speaks to us now. Uh, that is the focus, that is what the Bible does, that is what it, what, it, what it is. These words are God's means of speaking His truth to us today. And Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Even the bits that seem obscure to us, perhaps, they're in the Bible, so there is a truth and there is a relevance for us, and God has a purpose for those words for us today, if they are part of all Scripture. And incidentally, we'll be covering the process of the formation of the Bible next week, including how we got the, the books that we have uh, and the translations, etc. We'll be looking at that process next week, uh, so make sure you're here for that. But the point for now is that our attitude to the Bible should refre reflect our attitude to God. If we believe that God doesn't lie, then we will believe that the Bible is 100% truthful. Uh, if we believe that God makes things happen by speaking, like he created the world by speaking, then we'll believe that the message of the Bible is going to make things happen. It's able to save us, it's able to change us. We believe in the power of God's Word. And if we believe that the Bible is God's Word, then ignoring the Bible means ignoring God. And we dare not do that. The Bible is integral to a right relationship with God because it's how God speaks to humanity. And that makes it very special and also very powerful. That's why it can accomplish things and achieve things. It's because it's the Word of God. Uh, do you remember a few months ago, uh, somewhere on a 1,400-kilometre stretch of road between the Pilbara in Western Australia and Perth, uh, a tiny capsule of radioactive cesium-137, which was 8 millimetres high, just a tiny little bullety type thing, fell off the back of a truck along that road. They didn't have it at the end, so they said, oh, it's fallen off somewhere along this 1,400-kilometre stretch. Big public health issue. No one drive that down that road. Multi-agency response, we've got to find this thing ASAP. So they combed 1,400 kilometres of road. Reason? Well, if you sat next to this thing for a little while, it could make you very sick. If you picked it up and you put it in your pocket for a couple of hours, it could kill you. This tiny little 8 millimetre capsule. Very potent, tiny little material, very potent. 
The Bible is not just like other words, it's uniquely God-breathed, it's uniquely potent. Even just one verse of the Bible has the power to save a person for all eternity. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the power of the Bible. It's interesting, isn't it? People think that they're judging the Bible. We humans, well, we judge the Bible, we decide what we want to do with it. But actually, the Bible is judging us because God is speaking to us through it. It's uniquely God-breathed. So, uh, that's what the Bible is, and this leads to the fourth point, it is uniquely sufficient. That is, the Bible is all we need, we don't need anything else. If it's not in the Bible, you don't need to believe it in order to be saved and live rightly with God. Paul says here in verses 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, that is, is valuable for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, historically, people have been tempted to add three things to the Bible to give people some extra help with God. Oh, the Bible's okay, but let's also, we also need this. And at times, these three things have come to rival the authority of the Bible in the church. And these three things, these potential rivals to the Bible, are tradition and reason and experience. Uh, so these are mistakes that the church has made in the past and, and still makes in many cases. Firstly, tradition. Tradition, is, tradition says, this is how we understand the Bible and this is how we must apply it. This is our tradition. We've got the Bible and this is how you understand it and this is how you apply it. And so it adds these regulations to it. And in some cases, these traditions actually take over from the Bible. Uh, the Pharisees were guilty of this. Uh, Jesus ended up saying to the Pharisees, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to, to, to observe your own traditions. That was they so valued their own traditions, which they claim came from the Bible, that they actually ended up disobeying the Bible. And Christian traditions can crystallise also into legalism. They become musts. You must do this and you must do that. Where does the Bible say that? Well, it's actually an extension of what the Bible says. It's become tradition. But if it becomes a must, then it's turned into legalism. And tradition can also take our doctrine in directions away from the Bible as well. Um, the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory is a classic example of that, just a whole body of doctrine built on something that's actually not in the Bible. The crucial question to keep asking is, where do you find that command in the Bible? Where do you find that doctrine in the Bible? If it's not there, you don't have to do it. If it's not there, you don't have to believe it. Um, okay, that's tradition, a potential rival to the authority of the Bible. The second one, the second potential rival is reason, uh, which says, if it makes no sense to us, then it can't be true. Um, did Jesus rise from the dead in his body? The Bible says it, he, he did, but science says that can't possibly happen, so it can't have happened. Reason trumps scripture. Should we take it seriously that God made humans male and female? Well, society's moved on from that, we don't have to really believe that. Reason trumps scripture. Uh, is it possible that God is completely sovereign and our choices matter at the same time? Well, I don't understand how that could work. It can't be true. Scripture says both things are true. Uh, if we don't believe it, then reason has trumped scripture. Of course, some, there are some things in the Bible we can't understand. Uh, 
Now, we need reason to understand the Bible, but we mustn't put human thinking over the Bible's authority and sit in judgment over the Bible and end up explaining the Bible away or the bits that don't make sense to us. Um, so that's another potential rival to the authority of the Bible is our own reason. And the third one is experience. That is, yes, the Bible's great, but you need just a little bit more if you want to lead, lead a really good Christian life. Uh, I need other personalised experiences of God as well. I need other personal direct messages from God through words from the Lord or signs or promptings or those little bits of help along the way. But we mustn't place what we wish God might do above what God has already said and let, us let it distract us from that. The Bible doesn't promise extra personal revelation for Christians beyond our experience of God's Word. And I think that often where people expect such things, they lose interest in the Bible and God's big agenda in favour of their own personal agenda and their own experiences and their own experience uh, is really where the action ends up being in the way they approach their Christian life. These extra experiences and so they become the authority rather than the Bible. Uh, a focus on experience, Christian experience is great, but a focus on that experience can undermine the authority of Scripture. If people are reading the Bible less and looking to the Bible less and thinking about the Bible less, then something's wrong. Paul says that Scripture is useful to equip us thoroughly to live for God by faith. It doesn't need tradition as an extension, it doesn't need reason as a foundation, it doesn't need experience as decoration. It works perfectly when the Bible is all we need. It is sufficient, as it claims to be here in 2 Timothy. So, if we believe these things about the Bible, uh, the question is, what place does the Bible have in our lives? What place does the Bible have in your life, if this is what you believe the Bible to be? The Bible's an incredible gift from God. It's not just a historical relic, it's a word through which God is actively speaking and relating to us today. Uh, we need to value the Bible as we should, which doesn't mean locking it away, it means using the Bible and exposing ourselves to it and seeking to be shaped by what we hear, actually getting the words of the Bible into ourselves. That's what we ought to be doing. Uh, lots of people don't like books and they don't like reading and it takes hard work to understand the Bible sometimes and sometimes we struggle and it's hard to motivate yourself, perhaps. It is unavoidable that God deals with us through words. That is how He has chosen to relate to His word, world through His words. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we are hearing the words of the Bible and not just video adaptations of Bible stories, but the words from the Bible itself are where the action is. But if you don't like reading, um, you do have other options, actually. You can get somebody to read the Bible to you. You don't have to look at the words on the page if that's sort of a little bit difficult. Get somebody to read the Bible to you. In fact, most of you have an app on your phone, a Bible app on your phone, and it can read the words of the Bible to you. You can choose the accent that it reads it to you in. Um, so by whatever means, get the words of the Bible into yourself, because we need to be hearing those words. And we need to learn how to get the meaning from those words and we need to learn to consider the implications for ourselves of that meaning and we need to learn to put those implications into practice. The guy who first read the Bible with me when I was probably about 19 and uh, a little bit sort of shaky on things, 
um, we'd get together and we'd read the Bible together and then we'd sort of talk about what it said. And, I, and at one point I said to him, what are we meant to do with this? Like, you know, where is this going? We're kind of reading the Bible together. He said, well, what I do is um, when I read the Bible, I try and work out what the Bible is telling me to do and then I force myself to go and do it. I thought, well, there you go. Pretty simple, isn't it? God says, there's the Bible, you work out what it says to do, and then you just discipline yourself to go and do it. It's a pretty simple process, um, conceptually, anyway. Uh, okay, that's, that's fair enough. You're actually supposed to go and do this stuff. If God has spoken, and we call ourselves God's people, we should be paying attention. So, keep opening your Bible, and be a Bible person, you know, be somebody who loves the Bible, learn to love the Bible. If, if you don't feel like it's getting through to you or you, I don't understand this section of Micah or that's what I'm reading at the moment, I'm thinking, mm, okay. Uh, keep reading and keep listening and if Micah doesn't do anything for you, just keep reading and go to something else and wait for God. Just keep processing the Bible. Um, don't give up on God's Word. The Bible is utterly unique because it is the Word of God. Uh, this is what the Bible says about its own nature. It's what we believe about it. As to its substance, it is uniquely trustworthy in a world without certainty and with no compass. As to its content, it's uniquely Christ-centred in a world without grace. As to its origins, it's uniquely God-breathed in a world of just lots of small opinions. As to its utility, it's uniquely su uh, sufficient in a world that's so easily distracted and at cross-purposes all the time. So let me pray that God will help us to uh, be Bible people and to appreciate what it is that we have uh, in this book. Loving Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you've spoken and that you have overseen a process by which your message is crystallised in these words. Lord, we thank you that it is a message of grace as you testify to your son Jesus in this book. And we pray for... Father, that the power of your word would come through to us as we read the Bible, as we respond to it. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to persist with it, knowing that it is all that we need. Thank you, Father, for this miraculous, holy and special book. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.